morning. My name is Brett, and uh, I'm part of the team here. Before we get into God's Word today, uh, we just have some additional announcements and want to speak to a couple of things that are going on. Um, one is, I, I know it doesn't feel like this yet, because you can't believe it's December. You can't believe we're almost at Christmas, um, but we are, which means we're almost to the new year, which you haven't thought about yet, which means you have not, some of you, made a plan on how you're going to read through the Bible this next year. So I just want to say that to you. I just want to say that to you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're reading the scriptures, maybe you're going to read through the whole thing. Maybe you've got it broken up into a couple of years. Like myself and some of my friends, maybe you're doing a deep dive onto one or two things and you're going to work through that. Just make some plans. We've got some stuff on our website that you can find that'll be helpful to you on doing that. Second thing about the new year is that uh, January 3rd to 9th is our week of fasting and prayer. We like to do this to kick off the, the new year. Week of fasting and prayer. Lots more information coming about what that's going to look like. We're going to have prayer meetings here. We're going to have a night of worship and prayer. You can put it in your calendars on January 5th. That's going to be in here. We're going to worship together, pray together, and bring a lot of things to the Lord as we begin a new year uh, in his presence. Okay, that's what we're going to be doing. Um, Next, just the Advent giving campaign that we're on about. Thank you so much for your generosity thus far. We're at $37,000 of our $100,000 goal, and that's pretty good. So thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, 1018 is a ministry designed to, to welcome in community uh, refugees, single parents, and the working poor who are perhaps having a hard time having, you know, meeting and, uh, making ends meet in their life. There's lots of great agencies out in the city who are doing good work around this, but what we find is that there's not a lot of local churches who are able to do this, who are able to welcome into community those who they're also serving. So we love all the agencies who are doing all the work. We support a number of them in the way that we are partnering together. But what we wanted to be able to do was not just help with the felt needs, but actually build community and draw people in together so they have a place not only to be provided for, but a place to belong. And so that's what you're giving to this year for our Advent Giving Campaign 1018. There's lots more information on the website about that. One final thing, and it's, it's a little bit of a bigger announcement on this, um, just before we get into the scriptures today. I just want to take a few moments and just talk to you about the way we're handling the public health order that came into effect last week. Just want to talk about it. Um, I wasn't here last week. I was preaching in Whistler, um, helping out one of my friends who is a solo pastor. And the last couple of years, it's been pretty hard for solo pastors. And so our team have tried to spell him off on occasion. And so I was up there um, because I wasn't scheduled to preach here. But I did want to say a couple of things. The public health order gives us the option of operating at 100% of our seating capacity, of our occupancy capacity upstairs and downstairs, if we use a vaccine passport system. The public health order offers us the other option of running at 50% of our building occupancy capacity if we do not use a vaccine passport system. We've chosen to limit ourselves to 50% of our occupancy uh, upstairs and downstairs for the totality of our building use. A couple of things. Um, this is actually not in any way really altering how we would normally run a Sunday. Um, normally, we would have all the children in prior to uh, the, the dismissal, and they would all go head downstairs to their classes. What we've done, as those of you who are parents know, the kids are downstairs from the very beginning. That actually helps kind of structure our numbers in a way that we can do it like this. So we're not limited in this way. Um, we've got more than enough room upstairs and downstairs to continue on with this. And if it becomes numerically tight, we'll just go to a third gathering. And I, I want to say that because I know that a number of you have reached out and said, am I taking someone else's spot if I show up, if I register? I just want you to know that's not true. We do, we do not have a capacity limit. The reason we're doing or a capacity problem, we have a limit, but it's not a problem. The reason we're doing registration is so we know if we need to add a third gathering. 
We want to make sure every single person can come. Um, the second thing is that when our elders discussed the issue of vaccine passports months and months ago, because we had a feeling this would end up coming, even though we were told it would not end up coming, that was a suppressing my feelings pause. <clears throat> I realized that was not as veiled as it should have been. Um, we were told that we would not be forced to deal with this, but we figured we would, so we had a very frank discussion about it in September. And in September, we decided in, in a unanimous fashion that Christ City Church will not operate with a vaccine passport in place. Um, the reason we won't do that is because we don't believe that anyone should have the ability to decide who may or may not gather for worship. It's very important that you hear my heart on this. No one gets to segregate the church of Jesus Christ into haves and have-nots, no matter what the have and have-not is. According to the research we've been able to access online, which you are free to find yourself, it appears that about 95% of people, eligible people, in our South Vancouver neighborhoods, it appears that about 95% are vaccinated. Our assumption is that our church is probably somewhere around that number as well. Here's what I want you to know. Whatever percentage of people in our neighborhood that are not vaccinated, and whatever percentage of people in our church that are not vaccinated, you will never be locked out of our worship gatherings for that. And I want you to hear me on this. This is not a statement on what I think or what the elders think about vaccines. So don't get caught up in that. This is a statement on loving our neighbors and allowing every man, woman, and child in the city of Vancouver an opportunity to come and gather together with us to encounter Jesus. As a church, we have fully complied with the public health orders from the very beginning of the, uh, of the pandemic, and we will continue to fully comply with them insofar as they do not hinder us from obeying God. We will continue to comply with them insofar as they do not hinder us from loving our neighbors or being the church. Um, I don't believe that any government in the world should have the ability to segregate the church of Jesus Christ for whatever reason. And I don't think any government in the world should have the ability to determine who may or may not attend a worship gathering. Um, if you have any questions about this, you, you, you just want to talk more about it, maybe you're troubled by it, maybe you're really excited about it for whatever reason you're excited about things, um, you can email me directly. It's brett at christcitychurch.ca. Um, if you don't want to talk to me, email elders at christcitychurch.ca. One of our elders will get back in touch with you. They would love to be able to just have a phone call, have a conversation, exchange an email, whatever that looks like. We just want to be very clear. We're doing our best to love all people. And that's the posture that we've taken here. Okay, with that said, would you now stand for the reading of God's word? Today's scripture comes from Luke 2, 25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture on this third Sunday of Advent. We are grateful that we can gather together in the name of Jesus. We ask you, God, that today you would open our eyes, that we would just see your glory in new measure. That you would open our ears, that, that we would hear your truth, God, that you would open our hearts, that we might believe, and that, Lord, in believing, we might see you glorified through the work of our hands uh, in everything that we give ourselves to. So we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In this season of Advent, we've been looking at the birth of Jesus and then some responses to the birth of Jesus from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Today, we're going to look at the response of a man named Simeon, you just heard read about. Luke's Gospel tells us that Simeon was, an eagerly, ex, uh, was, was eagerly expecting the arrival of the Savior, that he was a man who knew the Scriptures, that he knew the promises of God, that he was a righteous man, that he was full of faith, that he walked according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that he had some kind of prophetic revelation that he was going to see the Savior before he died. And this passage tells us, in addition to that, what Simeon said when that day came, when he saw the baby Jesus being presented in the temple in Jerusalem. The passage also tells us what Simeon said to Jesus' mother Mary about what she could expect to experience in and through her son's life. So taking our cues from Simeon then on this third Sunday of Advent, we're going to look at the waiting of Advent. We're going to look at the peace of Advent. And we're going to look at the conflict of Advent. The waiting and the peace and the conflict. This is how we're going to look at the passage in front of us today. So the waiting of Advent. Luke chapter 2. Let me read to you verses 25 and 26 one more time. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Okay, Simeon is just another righteous, devout guy in a long line of righteous and devout men and women of God who had been waiting for the arrival of the Savior of Israel. And it says in this text that, that he's called the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Savior, Messiah. Simeon had a word from the Lord that he was hanging on to. He had this promise that gave him a singular focus and a singular priority in his life that he was eagerly awaiting the arrival of the Lord's Christ, the Savior. This is the waiting of Advent. For Simeon, he was waiting for the first arrival of Jesus, the long-awaited and long-promised arrival of the Savior of Israel. And we can learn from him because for us, we are waiting for the long-promised and long-awaited return of Jesus. Simeon was waiting for his arrival in his incarnation. We are waiting for his return in glory. Advent helps us to remember that we are living in the tension between the first arrival and the second arrival of Jesus. And just as Simeon was waiting, expectant of the promise, we now wait, expectant of the promise. And the promise is this. The promise is that the baby who was born king, Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord's Christ, as it says in Luke 2, the one who grew in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and humanity, 
The one who visited the temple as a preteen and impressed all of the rabbis who were there. The one who announced the beginning of his public ministry by quoting from the same prophet as Simeon is quoting from here later in this passage. The one who shocked his family and friends and his disciples, those closest to him, shocked them at every turn by not fitting into the exact profile of what they thought the Savior was going to be like. The one who would lay down his life for the sins of many, who rose on the third day. This is who we're talking about. The one who ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he makes the promise that he is going to come again. Hey, this the promise we're hanging on to. Just as Simeon was waiting, expectant of the fulfillment of the promises of God, we now wait expectant of the promises and the fulfillment of the promises of Jesus. This kind of waiting is not passive. This is not a passive waiting. This is not a ho-hum, I'll fold my hands and see how it goes waiting. There's an active element to this. The kind of waiting he was doing was the hopeful waiting for the fulfillment of a promise. He is not passively waiting. He is eagerly looking for In that sense, it's a longing and an anticipation. Eugene Peterson, he calls it prayerful expectancy. That's the kind of waiting we're talking about. If you play sports, it's the difference between being caught, you know, flat-footed with your knees locked, right? Any sports coaches in the room, you're like, that's the kids, they fall over. They're not the ones who are ready. Knees bent, feet shoulder-width apart. Come on, this is my childhood, okay? Tip your toes. This is eager anticipation, this is passive waiting, knees locked. This is when we're doing a wedding. This, is, this has happened to me, and I'm officiating a wedding, and there's the groomsmen lined up on this side with the groom standing next to me. I always look at the groom and the groomsmen to make sure their knees aren't locked and they're standing flat-footed. Because they're the ones that pass out and fall down. Okay? Knees bent on your toes, ready to get married. Eager anticipation. What's your posture? Are you actively waiting? Simeon models a hopeful waiting for the fulfillment of a promise for us. So Christ City, I just want to ask, what are you waiting for? Like, what are you waiting for? I didn't see what Simeon's waiting for. What are you waiting for? What are you longing for? What do you most desire? What do you want? To me, and it's, it's just me looking at the text here, right? In Simeon, I see a guy who's hungry for God. He's expectant of God to move in his life. He has all of his hope wrapped up in the promises of God. He was waiting, it says, for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? It means he was waiting for the promised Savior to come and console or comfort his people who had been greatly afflicted. He was going to do that through restoration and through deliverance. He was coming to bring salvation. See, he was part of the long line of people who had suffered greatly, but unlike a lot of other people that we're going to meet later on in the Gospels, Simeon had only one source of hope for where he would find that comfort. Christ City, what are you waiting for? Where does your help come from? Where do you look for comfort? 
What are you eagerly looking for? Right? What is the focus of your prayerful expectancy? See, when I see Simeon in the text, I see a man who has a white hot faith. He's expecting to take hold of the promises of God. I see a man who is probably used to people telling him that he's a dreamer. Telling him, calm down in your zeal for the Lord. Bring it down a level. Simeon, you're getting weird. Just bring it down a notch. Be normal. I see a man who probably has friends who are uncomfortable with how on fire for God he is because it exposes their own apathy. That's who I see in Simeon. I see a man who has overflowing hope. He was waiting for the arrival of Jesus. So are we. So are we. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul the Apostle writes a letter to his young disciple Titus, and he says, For the grace of God has, past tense, appeared. It's already happened. Bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing future of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. He has appeared and he is going to appear and we're waiting for him. Past and future and we're sitting in the tension in between. It says in verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is active waiting for the fulfillment of a promise. We're waiting for him. And sometimes life's so good, we forget we're waiting for him. Christ City is not your home. I praise God your life's good. Praise God my life is good. Don't get too attached. It's not home. We're sojourners on the way. We're passing through. Don't get too accustomed to forgetting what you're waiting for. What are you waiting for? What are you longing for? On a good day in my life, which I'm not saying is a good day, ultimately a good day, I forget about this. On a bad day, I cry out the word Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. I got all my eggs in that basket. I got all my hope right there in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The world's broken. It's broken. And God's promises are so good. There's so much pain in the waiting. We need to be sure. We need to be certain of what we're waiting for. Hey, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. When Jesus came to save, I am waiting for the renewal of all things when Jesus returns to make all things new. What are you waiting for? Don't be satisfied with comfort and wealth. Don't be satisfied with a life of ease and success and the status and standing you have in the culture that we live in. Don't settle for the promises that are on offer to every person around us in the culture that we live in. I'm saying to us that we need to be longing and eagerly anticipating and prayerfully awaiting the arrival of Jesus. 
tell you right now, that kind of longing for God, that kind of edge of your seat, right, up on the tips of your toes, anticipating kind of waiting, that kind of waiting will, will change the way you live your life. Are you dependent upon the promises of God that are anchored in Jesus? What are we waiting for? Why not decide right now? I'm going to reorient my life around that which I wait for. Jesus. Like if our prayers are more guided by the everyday circumstances than they are about posturing our hearts before God with an anticipating kind of waiting, right? maybe we just need to shift a couple of things. Just put Christ back at the center, reorient all the other really important things around him. I'm just saying keep him at the center in this season. We need to increase the intensity of our seeking and our active waiting and longing for God. That's the waiting of Advent. Secondly, the peace of Advent. Huh. I want this. I want it for you. The peace of Advent. Let's just look at the text again, 25 to 32. Let's read that section. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, look at verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, this is what he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. And Simeon spends his life waiting for the arrival of the Savior. And on the day when Jesus' parents bring him into the temple according to the custom of the law, the Holy Spirit leads Simeon to be there, to show up, to see what he has been looking for. To literally take hold of what he has been longing for. It's the salvation of God in this little baby. So Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. Okay? And I'm not saying that he takes Jesus in his arms and lifts him up like Rafiki in the Lion King. Okay? I'm not saying he does that, but I'm not not saying he did that took Jesus in his arms, blessed God, because he knew he had just taken hold of that which he was waiting for. From long before he'd been waiting, generation after generation before him had been waiting for what he just took hold of. Takes Jesus in his arms and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. See, Simeon embraces Jesus, and when he embraces Jesus and he knows Jesus, that's all he needed. He can die happy and fulfilled. He is at peace. He had a singular focus in his waiting, and he has a singular focus in his fulfillment. He had met Jesus and everything else was secondary. I love that. I love that we don't know anything else about Simeon. I just love it. He was just a guy who was looking for Jesus. What an example. 
Sam told me this this week, and I think he is absolutely bang on. Sam said, the only reason Simeon can depart in peace is that he was waiting for the right thing. Simeon's peace is completely tied to embracing that which he waited for. Because he was waiting for the right thing. God will not give you peace apart from Jesus. He loves you way too much to let that happen. God will not give you peace apart from Jesus. We see in lots of places in the scriptures that God is the God of peace. And what Simeon is experiencing in an ultimate sense is the contentment that comes from an encounter with Jesus. That's what he's experiencing in that very moment. I think we all want that. I know for a fact you're dressed nicer than your internal peace rating right now. You look great. All of your eyes look great. I'm sure you're smiling behind those masks. I doubt your inner contentment is as peaceful as this room feels at the moment. <laughs> I want the peace Simeon has. How do I get it? Okay. How do I get a hold of the peace that Simeon had when he got a hold of Jesus? Okay. We can have the peace of God. That's what this is talking about. Only once we have peace with God. We can have the peace of God, but not until we have peace with God. And I'm going to show you what I mean. Let me distinguish between those two because they're complementary, but they're different. The peace of God and peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be justified, it's theological jargon. To be justified means to be declared righteous in a legal sense. It's like the final judgment where every human being is going to stand before God at the end of the age. It's that final judgment that gets brought into the very present moment when somebody puts their faith in Jesus. They are then immediately declared right with God. They have peace with God. What does that mean? Okay. Sometimes defining something helps to define what it's not. What he doesn't mean here when he talks about the peace of God, he's not talking peace with God. He's not talking about the subjective feeling of peace. It's not what this is talking about. It's not like when people say, man, I just feel so at peace with God. You know, when they walk into an old cathedral or maybe when you walk in here, something else going on in your life, you say, I just feel at peace with God. That's wonderful. I, that's not what this is talking about. It's like some people say, man, when I'm out alone, in the mountains, I just feel that peace. I just feel that peace of God just washing over me. That's wonderful and beautiful and good. And I want that for you. And we're going to get to there and talk about that. That is not what this is talking about. This is an objective statement declaring that a state of war has ended. This is not a feeling of peace. It is not the subjective experience of peace. This is a declaration of peace. Paul's saying, before you put your faith in Jesus, you were at war with God. You were enemies of God. But now because of the finished work of Jesus and your faith in him, the war's over. You are at peace with him. It is the absolute reality that if you are in Christ, you are no longer an enemy of God. You are 
a child of God. You've been adopted as his own. You've been promised an inheritance. You are an heir with Christ. Simeon said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon was a man full of faith who was waiting for Jesus. Why does he have peace? He's experienced this peace in the text because he has peace with God. He's looking for Jesus. His faith led him to wait. And when the salvation of God in Jesus came, he had peace. And before I was a Christian, before I was justified, if you want to use the term from chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans, I had a spiritual hunger. I sought peace. Okay? I sought the experience and the feeling of peace. The fact of the matter was, I was at war with God. I was seeking peace apart from Jesus. That meant I looked for all kinds of things that would make me feel at peace, when in actuality, I could never be at peace until I accepted Jesus' work in my place. I could never atone for my own sin. I could never bring myself into a status shift of being at peace with God. I could never feel cleansed. I always felt broken. I could never feel whole. And I knew that I was not forgiven. Whatever I had done wrong, I felt like there was no means for me to be forgiven. I wanted peace, but the thing is, I wanted it on my own terms, apart from Jesus. See, we can have the peace of God, and I'm, I'm going to get there, we're going to talk about this. But first, we need to have peace with God. You can never have peace with God aside from repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus and his justifying work on the cross. It's the only way you can have that experience of peace. This is talking about the objective truth. In fact, you can have peace with God. It is a, a statement of truth. It is not a statement of experience. Like before God, you can be declared forgiven. This is the truth of peace. What about the peace of God? That's peace with God. What about the peace of God? Look at Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is the peace of God. I want to say this is like a feeling of inner tranquility in some way. It's a feeling thing. It's a sense of peace. It's not just the reality of peace. Romans 5 is peace with God, objective truth. You're no longer at war, justification by faith alone. That's all wonderful. You're declared righteous. Philippians 4 talks about the peace of God. That's the subjective feeling of calm and peace and knowing that you're right with him. It allows your heart and your mind to rest. I just want us to see having peace with God is the truth of peace. Having the peace of God is the experience of that peace. That's what Simeon has when he takes Jesus in his arms. If you're stressed out, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're unsettled, you're uneasy, you're worried, you're generally lacking peace, then just, just hear me. God will not give you peace apart from himself. Merry Christmas from Christ City Church. The declaration of peace, this objective truth that the peace we have in Christ, it comes before the experience of that peace. You can't get peace on your own terms. It will not last. 
It is a fleeting momentary thing that's like trying to grasp at vapor in the air. You won't be able to take hold of it. You might think you've got it for a second. It's like trying to grab a rope of sand. You put your hand through it and you go, I have a few grains, but they all fall through your hands. You can't take hold of it on your own terms. Stop trying. It's an exhausting journey. Trying to find peace apart from God. It's very tiring. After living through this myself and watching a lot of other people live through this as a pastor for the last number of years, here's what I believe. I believe we lose the subjective feeling of peace when we forget the objective truth of peace. What I mean is we lose the peace of God. I think it's usually because we have forgotten or thought too little of our peace with God. If you don't think that much of your peace with God, you are standing on shaky ground where you will lose your peace of God. When Simeon takes Jesus into his arms, Jesus gave him peace. You need the peace of Advent. Take hold of Jesus today. And I would just say, no matter what the chaos in your heart, know that Jesus can still give you peace. It's the waiting of Advent. It's the peace of Advent. Third, the conflict of Advent. The conflict. I don't know what your family's like growing up, but Christmas time always had some conflict in my family. Not my immediate family, except for me. I was a bit of a bear. Um, but growing up, there was just conflict around it. Because guess what? Extended families are messy. And everybody has the obligation of getting together with their messy extended family. And so three, four weeks up before Christmas, you start to stress out about the fact that you haven't talked to Aunt Matilda since February because she's crazy. Or whatever. I don't know what it is. There's conflict around it. The waiting of Advent and the peace of Advent. What about the conflict of Advent? It's different than that kind of relational conflict of Christmas. I just want to be very clear about what it's saying. Look at verse 33. It says, And his father and mother, this is Jesus' father and mother, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. Look at this. He said to Mary, his mother. He gives Mary a bit of a word. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. <laughs> That's different than the baby dedications we do here, right? We do baby dedications here. I stand over here and I say to parents, will you promise to raise your kids in the ways of Jesus? And they go, I do, or we do. And then I say, everybody, will you promise to care for this kid? And we all go, we do. And then it's like, you know what? Get the photographer to the front and center. We'll take some pictures. Hey, Simeon does not have that pastoral edge. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. It's going to be conflict around your son, Mary. And a sword's going to pierce your own soul also. That conflict will hit you. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary, your son's very important, but he may not be popular. I think Mary is a representative of all who love Jesus. I'm going to look at it like that. If you love Jesus, you're going to face some conflict around that. So you might as well understand that it's coming. 
He's saying the mission of Jesus, Simeon's saying, the mission of Jesus is going to attract some conflict from those who oppose him. And some of that conflict and the opposition is going to come from within his own people, the rise and fall of many within Israel. And it's going to spill over to kind of be that conflict is going to attach itself to everybody who follows Jesus. It's the conflict of Advent. Many years later, when Jesus was teaching what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When you're reviled, insulted or condemned or despised. When? When you are persecuted, when you're wronged or victimized or oppressed. When you are spoken against and slandered and hated and attacked. He says when, not if. Again, Merry Christmas. It's the conflict of Advent. And when this happens, Jesus says you are blessed. Why will this happen? Because your life looks like Jesus and in the other person or people's rejection of Jesus, they too will reject you. Simeon said Jesus would be a sign that was opposed, a sign that is opposed. There will be opposition and conflict connected to him. Why? Why are we going to experience the conflict of Advent here in 2021 in the city of Vancouver? John Stott wrote that persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. We all live by a standard or a pattern or a value system of some kind. And the question is, who has shaped that value system? If you live contrary to the accepted pattern or the accepted value system of the world around you, you will experience significant resistance. Faithfulness to the way of Jesus here creates friction in the hearts of those who are not submitting their lives to him. It's a clash of worldviews. And unfortunately, those who are opposed to Christ I'm not talking about your neighbors who are somewhat indifferent to Jesus and they're just going to let you kind of do your thing. They just don't really want to talk about him. And when you, you know, are hanging out talking about Jesus, they're not really into that conversation. I'm, not, I'm talking about people who are opposed to Jesus. People who have heard the gospel have said, no, in fact, I'm opposed to that. Typically, that value system clashing um, looks like you being dominated around the world. We see physical and verbal violence. We, we, we see um, that you can be punished for your stance of alignment with Jesus. It's, this could be hard persecution. That I, I would say that's not predominantly happening here. Hard persecution around the world where people are put to death because of their alignment with Jesus and the church of Jesus Christ, where they're beaten or, or whatever or the soft persecution that we experience here. Um, you see that in your schools, in your workplaces, when you're passed over for a promotion, when you're mocked for your social views. Because you believe in God, um, the God who created the world and everything in it, at times you can be marginalized for that. Where does that conflict come from? Jesus is actually pretty clear about that. 
John chapter 15. He's talking to his disciples the night before he's crucified. This is what he said. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, world, uh, <clears throat> remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Again, Jesus is saying the conflict is guaranteed. It's, it's kind of baked into the whole package. But here he explains the cause. It's the why of the conflict a little more clearly. It's because on a fundamental level, you have aligned yourself with him. The Christian living can be an indictment against a fallen world that is living apart from the commands of God. Rather than in, in responding with repentance and faith when you hear the proclamation of Jesus and the, and the good news of the gospel, the good news of great joy of the season of Advent, um, our, our world is inclined to respond with more hostility. So if you cherish sexual purity, your life will be seen as an indictment on those who practice or promote sexual immorality. If you value life, it will convict those around you who promote abortion and euthanasia. If you speak the truth, you will be despised by people who tell lies. If you walk in humility, then your life will be taken as an attack on bravado and pride. If you live simply and joyfully, your life will expose the folly of opulence and excess. If you're not willing to cut corners at work, your integrity will be a threat to those who do. If you don't step on others to climb the corporate or social ladder, you expose those who are willing to do anything to get ahead. If you submit to authority, you highlight the inner rebellion of those who do not. You have aligned yourself with Jesus. And that's not good news to people who are opposed to him. It brings conflict. The conflict of Advent is our alignment or misalignment with Jesus. And Jesus reveals and exposes hearts. Look what it says in verses 34 and 35. It says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay? So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. How people respond to the good news of great joy in Jesus is the indicator of where they stand before God. And the gospel demands a response. It does now and always has. But thanks be to God that he has made a way for all people to end their hostility toward him. That no matter where you stand today, if you believe that you are perhaps on the side of conflict and opposing Jesus, you don't have to stay there. That you've maybe been longing for peace on your own terms. Maybe you've been waiting for things that are not the things I'm talking about here. You don't have an ultimate thing you're waiting for. You're just trying to wait for something better in life. You don't have to live like that. 
You don't have to live in opposition. When your heart is revealed at the proclamation of Jesus and the coming and arrival of Jesus and his birth and where he brings hope to the world, and you're looking at that going, I, I don't know that I'm on his side in all of these things. I'm just telling you, there's a way that has been made that you might come to him. Jesus actually said, I am the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father but by me. See, he's the one who has made a way for you to enter into relationship with God forever. The gospel demands a response. What do you say to Jesus today? That's the question. Where do you find your peace? Where do you find it? Christ City, the question for us, all of us, what are you waiting for?